It's an interesting thought, isn't it? How, are you prepared to get your hands dirty for Jesus? Are you prepared to get your hands dirty to serve Jesus? And the passage that we read earlier that Evelyn translated for you is a well-known passage, the story of the Good Samaritan, really well-known and rather obtusely, rather strangely, it's a passage that I have never preached on. In 20 years... Um, I went through my files, there's getting close to a thousand sermons sitting there at the moment, sorry for you who've had to listen to all those. Um, All of that, never once on this passage, typically it's a story told for children and just the parable part, but today what I want to do is just look a little bit outside the parable because Jesus actually told that story for a really, really important reason. Because there was an occasion when a teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him a question. Now kids, I don't know about this, and adults too. When someone asks you a question, I have a theory that says um, quite often the person actually already has a bit of an idea what the answer is. So for instance, if a teacher said to you, and now the kids have all gone on me, what is six times four? will the teacher generally know the answer or not? Generally they know the answer already, they're just trying to find out whether you know the answer. And this passage uh, tells us that a teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him a question, uh, asked him a question uh, which actually Luke said was to test Jesus, to see whether Jesus was kosher, whether he was right, whether he understood the law, whether he was some kind of a heretic or a strange teacher. And the question he asked was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a pretty uh, pretty good question, but it's a question that the teacher of the law really should have already known the answer to. What must I do? Because he was in possession of all of that information. And so Jesus turned that question around and said, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? And the lawyer gave him an answer and said, I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, love my neighbour as I love myself. Good answer, Jesus said, do this and you will live. And the lawyer wanted to try and trick Jesus and so he said to him, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbour? Now, just bear in mind that we are observers of this uh, event, this conversation that's taking place between Jesus and this teacher of the law. And the teacher of the law comes into this conversation with a great deal of information already. And one of those pieces of information was, and it's not recorded in the Bible, but it was recorded more broadly in the Jewish uh, wisdom literature. Some people might be considered your neighbour and some people not. Certain people you could think of as your neighbour and other people you didn't have to think of as your neighbour. In the book of Sirach, I think it's chapter 12, uh, a little book from the wisdom literature of the Jewish people, uh, there were some people you didn't have to treat as neighbours. If they were sinners, for instance, you didn't need to consider them neighbours. And so this lawyer was asking Jesus a question, well, who is my neighbour? And wanting Jesus to define that. Was Jesus going to agree with the law or was Jesus going to do something else? Now, Jesus is a very tricky customer. And rather than answering the question, he told a story. I don't know about you, but um, have you ever tried to write a parable? Have you ever actually sat down and thought, I want to illustrate a point. Let me do it with a story. It's actually really, really hard to do. And it illustrates something of the brilliance and the authority of Jesus, that he could just do it like that. And so we told a story. Now, what I want you to do this morning as we go through the story is not focus so much on the detail of the story, which we are very familiar with, but to think more broadly about the context of the conversation and and what are the people who are listening to this conversation going to be thinking? 
Remember, they are Jewish people. They are steeped in the law. Uh, they have a deep animosity with the Samaritans, as we know. Uh, what are they going to think? What are they going to respond? How are they going to respond as Jesus tells this question? So, uh, response to this question as he tells this story. And so he tells the story. A man was travelling uh, the road. Uh, if you want to go this way, uh, one Palamani, Lusum, Jerusalem, they walk about it, go along the road, belong Jericho. He's going down the road to Jericho. It's a steep, rugged, rough, uh, dangerous road. It's a road that you can actually still walk today if you really want to, uh, and uh, some of us have had that opportunity. It's a road that has some steep drop-offs, it has cliffs, it has rocks, it has caves, it has sharp corners, it has gullies, it has everything uh, that you can imagine, except for trees and grass. It's pretty desolate. Uh, here we go, Matt's just thrown a photo up of this road as it exists today. And so the guy was walking down the road, uh, in Jesus' story, is walking down the road by himself. He'd been to Jerusalem, perhaps he'd been up to Jerusalem for the festival. He was heading back down towards Jericho. He might have been going down to Jericho so that he could travel back up towards Galilee. We don't know. It's not important that we know either because it's just a story, remember? But as he was walking down the road, suddenly uh, some thugs, for want of a better translation, some thieves, some bandits, some criminals, some crooks, uh, some man no good, if you want to, uh, or rascal in talk prison, uh, grabbed him, stole his possessions, beat him up, unnecessary, just left him lying there dead on the roadside, as good as dead. Beaten, thrashed, uh, and lying there, totally helpless, and they made off with his possessions. They couldn't care less whether he lived or died, they just left him there. And any Jewish person listening to this story would have been thinking, that could easily have happened, that could easily be something that happens on this particular road. We know how dangerous it is, we know that from time to time this kind of thing happens. So Jesus is connecting with a life story for the people. As the story continues, uh, another traveller came along, a priest. And as the priest came along, um, he who had recently done his first aid certificate <laughs> applied the doctor's ABCD. Do you know that doctor's AB? It used to just be ABC, airway, breathing, circulation. Then it grew and it grew and it grew to the point where I can't even remember it all now. Kind of um, not very intuitive, is it? Doctor's ABC. First thing, check for danger. R, ah, response. S, send for help. What's next? Airway, breathing, compressions, defibrillator. And there's got to be E, like eject or run away or something, I don't know. <laughs> F, flee. Uh, G, go away, I don't know. But this guy, the priest, he only got to the D. The D, the danger. There might still be rascals, there might still be crooks. Or perhaps, again, it's just a story, so we're speculating out of, out of order in a way. Perhaps um, he, being a priest, thought to himself... If I touch this guy and he's dead, I become ceremonially unclean. Now, 
some people posit that as a reason why he might not have done that. The fact of the matter is there were actually laws allowing a priest to touch a dead body if there's no family present, so that probably didn't really count. For whatever reason, in the story that Jesus told, this guy, the priest, uh, looked at this fellow on the road and refused to offer assistance. In fact, walked to the other side of the road and disappeared. We're not sure whether he's walking up or down the hill. doesn't matter. Jesus didn't tell that part of the story. The point of the matter is that the priest walked past. And then a little time later, of course, in the story, a Levite, someone who helped the priests, uh, a person who was well respected in the Jewish community came along too, uh, and he did exactly the same. We don't know what his motivations were. Perhaps he was fearful of what might happen to what might potentially happen to him. Perhaps he had something else he had to do. Again, it doesn't matter. It's just the story that Jesus was telling. And in the story, Jesus illustrated the lack of care by the priest and by the Levites. Now, what are the people who are listening to the story thinking so far? Be lovely to ask, wouldn't it? You know? Why didn't the priest help? Why didn't the Levi help? A third person comes along. Now, if you're listening to the story, you're hoping by now that someone's going to do something for this guy, right? And the third person who came along is someone from Samaria. Now, there is absolutely no way that we can illustrate the kind of cultural or racial discord that there was between Israel and Samaria. In the, the language here, if you want to have a little look at it, it says all Samaria, Isavi, Bidura belong all Israel. That means Samaria, the Samaritans were enemies of Israel. They're not just neighbours they don't get on with. They're enemies. They're hated. They're kind of like these half-caste people related to the Israelites that don't belong to the covenant. They've set up another temple kind of structure thing. They're, they're in competition with us. They're in opposition with us. We don't like them. Literally, a person from Israel would walk from Jerusalem to Jericho and around in this enormous loop to get back up to Galilee, to Nazareth, rather than walking through Samaria. They hated going through Samaria. There's an occasion where Jesus actually took his disciples through Samaria. It was a shortcut. And some interesting things happened in Samaria while Jesus was walking through Samaria. But typically, uh, the Israelites didn't like the Samaritans at all. So can you imagine again, what are the people thinking when Jesus is telling this story? A Samaritan? He's not going to do anything. They're awful people. They're inbreds. They're awful. They're terrible. They're, we don't want anything. Surely not this person. And in the story, uh, the Samaritan is the one who actually gave the man some aid. He did 10 things, uh, which is rather interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, the, the things that he did. He saw the man. In the scripture, it says he saw the man lying on the side of the road. Last week, Matt pointed out just how significant seeing actually is not just the surface but seeing the person he saw the man he had compassion for him the second word that we talked about last week he went to him he administered first aid in the scripture it talks about he poured on uh, oil and wine onto his wounds to help uh, allay the injury he bandaged his wounds he put uh, what we call in pigeon lap lap uh, cloths around him. He put the injured man on his donkey. He took him to an inn. He took care of him. He commissioned the innkeeper to look after him. And then he promised to return and follow up later on. What a, what a complete care package that is. 
Isn't that amazing? From the moment of intervention to the end of the journey. The whole deal. The whole journey of healing for that guy who had been injured. Now again, uh, we could make much of what that means theologically in terms of our ministry and connecting with people. But let's ask the question, what are the people who are listening to this story thinking? Surely not a Samaritan. You've got to be kidding. Anyone but a Samaritan. In fact, we get a bit of a whiff of this um, because uh, when, if you, if you have a look at the English translation, it doesn't show up in the Torquism translation. The Torquism translation's actually wrong in this. The English translation says this, when Jesus um, asked the, the teacher of the law, who was the one, you know, who, did, who was the neighbour? It's an interesting way of putting the question because the guy had actually asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? And Jesus asked, who, who is that neighbour in the story? He's twisted the story or he's twisted the application in a really significant way. And the, the, the teacher of the law couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan because in the English translation he says, well, I guess it was the one who showed mercy. I guess it was the... Th- it was him. You know, that's what it was like. Couldn't even bring himself to say the name Samaritan. And yet um, Jesus used that person to illustrate that's what a real neighbour does. That's what a real neighbour looks like. It's not a question of who is my neighbour, but the real question Jesus says is what is a real neighbour like? You see the difference between those two questions? The, the, the teacher of the law just wanted a nice narrow definition. I want to know who my neighbour is. Jesus said forget about that question. The question you ought to ask is what does it mean to be a good neighbour? What does it actually mean to get your hands dirty for Jesus? That's the question we've been throwing around a little bit this morning. What does it mean to get your hands dirty for Jesus? We've been blessed over this past uh, month to hear some stories of people who have been, for the last few years, getting their hands dirty for Jesus. And we've been able to participate with those people in our giving, in our prayer support, in our championing of them in their work. Let me just give you a little bit of... um, an update in terms of where we're up to with our support. This I give to you towards the end of our service because it is mightily encouraging. Because although we've not been able to go to the Silk Road or go into Asia and do some of the things that those folks are doing, we've not been able to live and incarnate in those neighbourhoods. We've been able to get our hands dirty through the process of giving. Uh, And here's where we're up to. David and Eliza, who are serving on the Silk Road, we had hoped to raise um, something around 15,000. That was our target. Um, Rather, unfortunately, we are nowhere near that 15,000. We're actually at 21,000. 145% of what our target was. And that was about three days ago. For Craig and Kim Barnes, uh, we were hoping to raise 5,000. We're at 100% in that target too. For the Baptist World Aid Cambodia Vulnerable Children's Fund, we were raising, our target was $2,000. We've received so far $2,850, so we're sitting at 143%. For Mission Aviation Fellowship, we're at 170%. $4,000. 
There's one that we still have a little bit to go on, uh, the Team Vocational Training Centre in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Uh, we're still looking to raise around about $3,000 for that. That will finish that one off. And the one that I think is perhaps the most exciting and encouraging for me is uh, the support that we've offered um, the church in the Democratic Republic of Congo through uh, the agency of Kamashonda and the folks that have come from there. We were hoping to be able to send $1,000 to Luberese to, to spend on iron for their roof and iron for their walls and that kind of stuff. We're at 393%, so just under $4,000. And through uh, this last month, we've seen some people give very, very sacrificially. And what a blessing it's been to be at the other end where we've recognised that and seen that. We're never going to talk about who, we're never going to talk about amounts, but just acknowledge that we've got people here who are prepared to get their hands dirty and give uh, to the work of God. That's exciting. And that's been a blessing. These next few weeks we're going to return to our preaching from the book of Judges as we anchor some of the, uh, the stories that have come from the Old Testament to us today. As I said, we're going to move on to think about Jesus, the great high priest, and, and his place in our world and society, anchoring ourselves in him. But the challenge today uh, comes back to this messiness that we enjoy uh, are we prepared to get our hands dirty for Jesus what does it actually mean to be the kind of neighbor that God wants us to be what does it mean for our church to be the kind of neighbor that God wants us as a church community to be we have much to give thanks for we have much to celebrate and and God is a good God I'm going to pray and then uh, invite you to sing that last song with me. We're not going to invite our musos back to do a last song. We're breaking things up a little bit differently today. Pray a benediction, then we'll stand and sing. If we can have the words this time, that would be helpful. Um, not that we needed them anyway. And who's got the words out in a bush village anyway? So there you go. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you um, that you have revealed your hand of blessing to us again and again and again through the generosity of God in the generosity of your people. We thank you for this month through which we have been able to celebrate your work in other places, places some of us may have been to, places some of us may never get to, but you are at work in all sorts of places. You're at work in our neighbourhoods too, Lord. And so as we reflect this morning on the story that Jesus told about neighbour, we pray that you will help us to be a good neighbour, to love those that you've planted us in the midst of, to demonstrate the life and love of Jesus to those we rub shoulders with, whether it's at school or on holidays or in the workplace or in our streets or in our parks or in our sporting clubs, in our church, in our ministries. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. And as we go, as we enjoy catching up with one another, as we spend time together in fellowship, as a continuation of our service, watch over us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.